stage for a future relationship. With some patience and grace, I'm certain he can use this time despite my bumbling efforts to bless us all. Over the past few weeks, we've discussed emotional, intellectual, and spiritual intimacy. The order of the, of the um, chapters in Chapman's book is a little bit different because of travel plans and our speaker's commitments, we had to flex a little bit. The discussion on intimacy was supposed to come before, or the sexual intimacy was supposed to come before the spiritual intimacy in the way he laid it out. Um, but for some reason, Richard, for some reason, um, where's Dallas? I couldn't get anyone to actually take on this topic, so here I am. Um, you'd think we'd be afraid of intimacy, as this cartoon points out, but also, as it points out, we're not. It's only the deep, meaningful intimacy that reveals much about ourselves that we're afraid of. Otherwise, we're ready and willing to communicate about intimacy. Today we're going to discuss the purpose of sexual intercourse. We're going to discuss the sexual differences in marriage and creating sexual oneness. Notice I'm presenting you this as any briefing. I'm telling you what I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you that. I'm going to tell you what I told you. Um, and yes, I'm going to read my script so that I don't have to make eye contact with any of you. <laughs> Feel free Feel free to move around, <laughs> look at your feet, gaze at the ceiling, look at the slides, read your paper, so that you don't accidentally make contact with me or anyone else. Now seriously though, this is a rich topic and it's something that we ought to be discussing, so let's get on with getting on with it. Um, we'll go to, Dallas didn't know we had a third trivia question here, no points. What is the purpose of sexual intercourse? The reproduction, companionship, pleasure? All right, the, all the above have it. It's all of that. Um, so, there's several reasons for underlying sexual um, intercourse. Reproduction. In Genesis 128, God said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the, all the earth and subdue it. I think you all agree that this is one command that we've not had a lot of trouble fulfilling. Children are viewed as a blessing from God. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior, so are children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has a quiver full of them. That's in Psalm 127. Now, the act of intercourse allows us to participate, actually participate in the creation process. The husband and wife that are committed to each other in a covenant marriage, they provide the best possible sitting for rearing children. And if this is true, and it is true, the sexual act should be only in the context of such a marriage. Second reason, companionship. <clears throat> We're not created to live in isolation. God said it's not good for man to be alone. In Genesis, and the Hebrew word for alone is a um, expression of being separated or just being cut off. Um, God's answer to Adam's aloneness was to make him a helper. We know this, a helper suitable for him. From Genesis two, when God created Eve, He said, "They will become one flesh." 
Now, commentaries don't all completely agree on what that's referring to, but they tend to agree that it's a reference to oneness found in sexual relations. In context of this passage, the language points to a unity of persons, not simply a coming together of bodies or having a shared community of interest. It's truly a oneness that is created. It's, the, it's in the context of sexual union that we express our deepest sense of intimacy with one another. More than simply physical, it involves emotional, it involves our emotions, our spirits, it involves our thoughts, it just involves our, everything of our being. Physical oneness cannot be separated from the other senses of intimacy that we've already talked about, but it enhances the emotional, intellectual intimacy. It's a bonding between two people. Companionship, also pleasure. Some people over time, both inside and outside the church, have found the very idea that God created sexual intercourse for pleasure somewhat disturbing or reprehensible. I've no doubt that God has created a lot of things for pleasure, a lot of things. And sexual intercourse is just one of those things. In Deuteronomy, God instructed Israel that when a man is married, he should not be burdened with war or business, but should be free at home for a year and bring happiness to his wife. It was considered rather heartless to send a recently married man off to war. Also, a newly married man was to be free from other responsibilities in order to have time to adjust and to bring happiness to his wife. Now, in the book that we're following, Chapman suggests this bring happiness refers to the pleasure of relating to one another sexually. In his understanding, God said, no war, no work, take a year to learn to pleasure your wife. We can talk about pleasure related to sex and marriage without, we cannot talk about pleasure related to sex in marriage without referring to the Song of Solomon. From the passion expressed in that book, we can conclude that God certainly wanted us to have a clear message about the pleasure that he intended for us to experience when relating to our spouses. The Song of Solomon expresses the pleasure of sexual intimacy from both the husband and the wife's perspective. If you haven't looked at it recently, I encourage you to do so. Um, but, we, but there's differences. There's sexual, there's sexual differences in marriage that bring challenges. Differences between the man and the wife. Note that the mutual fulfillment in the sexual aspect of marriage is not something that happens automatically. It doesn't just happen because we're married. Just as God directed the Israelites to take a year to grow together, we need to take time to grow together with our spouses in intellectual and emotional intimacy and sexual intimacy over a period of years. And we must do it with intention. We must be intentional about it. Because there are some differences. One of them is a difference in sexual needs. We ought to recognize that there is this difference. Men's sexual needs tend to be physically based. It's our being. It, it's the, the physical aspect of the sexual act that drives men's needs. Now, this isn't always the case, but female sexual needs, they tend to be more rooted in the emotional nature, a desire to be loved. If she feels loved, she wants to be physically intimate with the husband who loves her. No emotional intimacy will likely result in 
little to no sexual intimacy. Understanding and cooperating with those differences between the man and the woman will deepen our sexual intimacy as a couple. Remember, the opposite sex is the opposite sex. They're not like us. If we forget this, we tend to resent each other for not being more like us. For the husband, the physical elements result in sexual desire, even though things might not be totally right emotionally in the relationship. For the wife, the desire for intercourse is tempered by her emotional and intellectual intimacy with her husband. So understanding our wives, we need to place more emphasis than maybe we want to on the non-sexual love. That is, communicating love and care in ways that are meaningful to her. Not in ways that are meaningful to us, but ways that are meaningful to her. So we need to be students of our spouses. Another place we differ is arousal patterns. Men are stimulated by sight to a far greater degree than women are. Wives are more stimulated by tender touch, kind words, acts of service, quality time. You know, it sounds like the love languages. A husband shouldn't expect his wife to be interested in sexual intercourse as he is when he has been stimulated by sight. For us, it happens like that. And it could just be visual. He must take time to use other ways for her to feel loved in order to bring the same level of interest that we get like that. And Chapman offers a warning in this respect when we're talking about arousal patterns. And it'll bring us back to some of the tools we have in our toolboxes. Since we are not particularly discriminating as men in terms of the female objects that we find stimulating, we may be turned on, so to speak, by an image in an advertisement in an unknown woman walking down the street. That's not sinful. But the lust is. It can quickly turn to lust. Lust is desiring what is not permitted. And so we need to recognize that that's an area that we may struggle with. Chapman says that this saying is attributed to Martin Luther. We cannot keep a bird from flying over our heads, but we can keep it from building a nest in our hair. Similarly, the Christian husband cannot keep all sexual thoughts from flashing across his mind, but he certainly must not feed those thoughts. The biblical challenge is to take every thought and emotion and bring it to obedience in Christ. So I want to plug this uh, sitting captives free and the seven pillars of freedom one more time. third difference is sexual, is sexual response. Now, we talked about the sexual need. We talked about the arousal patterns. But during the actual act of sex, the response is different. Men's response, men's physical and emotional responses tend to be very fast and explosive, where ladies tend to be slow and lasting. These differences bring their own challenges. If we don't keep in mind that the objective is to meet the other's needs. Each of us needs to know that the other is committed to our well-being and willing to bring happiness to us and vice versa. To overcome these differences, we need to realize that the differences are things that are given to us by God because sexual intercourse is more than that reproductive act. God intended it to be a deep expression of love for each other, and if we do not make it a loving experience in which we look out for each other's interests, 
will miss mutual fulfillment. If it is a loving act built on emotion, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual intimacy, then it becomes a celebration and a bonding of our lives to one another. So how do we create sexual oneness? Both the husband and wife will find the sexual part of marriage mutually satisfying if we can create or get to this place of sexual oneness. The first part is commitment. Marriage that we've been talking about is not based on coercion. It's based on a covenant. Covenant is willing, is a willing commitment for better or for worse, so long as we both shall live. And it's not limited to simply being committed to the idea of staying in a marriage. It's a commitment to give, each other, give ourselves to each other. In 1 Corinthians, Paul stressed the equality and the reciprocation of the husband's and wife's sexual relationship by emphasizing the responsibilities we have to each other. In 7.3, he begins, a husband should give to his wife her sexual rights and likewise a wife to her husband. It's not the wife who has the rights to her own body, but the husband. In the same way, it's not the husband who has the rights to his own body, but the wife. Do not deprive each other except by mutual agreement for a specified time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then resume your relationship so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Commitment is to continue to grow together until both of you find mutual fulfillment in the sexual part of marriage. Now, selfishness in this regard has got to be recognized as a sin, which leads us to the need for communication. In sexual intimacy, communication trumps performance. It doesn't matter how good you are. If you're not communicating, you will never be better. Sexual intimacy is a result of relationship and relationship from communication. Sexual intercourse is not an act that establishes deep intimacy. It's an act that presupposes having a deep intimacy. Sexual foreplay doesn't begin in bed. It begins, begins hours prior. This requires communication. And guys, I realize this is strange because we remember the visual and the arousal thing for us. It's like that. For wives, it's hours prior, and it requires communication, sharing our lives intellectually, emotionally, and socially. Hearing and being heard and understood is critical, and that takes a sense of empathy and understanding of each other. Now, Chapman points out that if couples don't have time to talk, they certainly don't have time for sex, and they probably don't have time for marriage either. Open communication in marriage ought to include talking about our sexual relationship with each other. Because of our differences, we have different desires and needs, and we can't mutually fulfill each other without openly discussing those issues. He suggests asking this question every several months. What one thing would you like me to do or not do that would enhance our sexual relationship? If you don't ask, you don't know. The third aspect of creating sexual oneness is love. Love is a garden where sexual intimacy grows. Sexual intimacy involves our minds, our emotions, our spirits. 
the physical experience of sex is magnified by the emotional, intellectual, and spiritual love that we have. Remember, love is a conscious effort to look out for the other person's interests. It's an attitude and an emotion, and the emotion will follow the attitude. We choose our attitude, and that influences how we feel. As we express love in our spouse's love language, not in the way that we feel loved, they feel loved. And then conversely, if we choose to have a negative attitude, an attitude of apathy or even hatred, then we will behave and we will feel accordingly. Our challenge is to express love unconditionally with God as the example. Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrated his own love for us and that while we were sinners, Christ did what? He died for us. And we have hope of being capable to love each other because Paul also says the love of God has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So having commitment, communication, love, we also need privacy. Sexual intercourse is a very private act. It's a unique expression of love and commitment that a husband and wife share with each other. It's an act of celebration. It's an act of bonding. To share it with others or share it with the world would cause us to lose that expression of love and bonding experience. The best place, the only place to share the joys and struggles in a sexual relationship is not with your friends. It's not with family. If it's necessary at all, it's with a marriage counselor. We can discuss sex like we are today in a public forum, and we should from time to time, but we should never share specifics about what we do in private with family, friends, or strangers. And for some of us, we recognize that privacy is a challenge. We may live in a small house with lots of kids that are very curious about what mom and dad are doing. It's difficult sometimes to find privacy. And lack of privacy will hurt our relationship. So it's our responsibility to find a way to get private time so that we can share our lives with each other sexually. So in summary, mutual sexual fulfillment comes from a husband and wife, each seeking to bring pleasure to each other. When married couples give their bodies to each other, as Paul directed in 1 Corinthians 7.4, they both find sexual fulfillment. When they're committed to pleasing each other, they also experience that fulfillment. Now, there's cases where we may have been hurt, wronged, or abused. In those cases, we, we will find difficulty in seeking to please our spouse. And sometimes this requires outside intervention intervention through counseling. Sometimes it just requires confronting our spouse in love and seeking reconciliation. And remember, this goes both ways. While with true forgiveness, we can express love again by seeking to please each other. And as two people commit themselves or recommit themselves to pleasing each other, sexual intimacy will become a reality or improve. So I've got a few awkward questions for you to discuss at your table. I kept the first one easy. Are you comfortable with the idea of sexual intercourse being for reproduction, companionship, and pleasure? 
Second one, you might want to dwell on a little more. Even if we can't keep the birds from flying over our head, what are those things we can do to keep them from building nests in our hair? And then the third one, respecting boundaries of privacy that we just talked, that I just talked about. In what ways can we improve on building a sense of sexual oneness with our spouses? Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us a group of guys that are willing to do life together and consider the relationships with our spouses as our first mission field. Lord, I thank you for giving us pleasure. I thank you, you for giving us a way to connect deeply with our wives. And Lord, I ask you to bless these men as they go about today and as they think on this topic in Jesus' name. Amen.